Before I read scripture, uh, next Sunday we're going to have a believer's baptism. We have a young woman who uh, would like to be baptized, and I'd like to throw out the offer. If you've been thinking about participating in a baptism, uh, a believer's baptism is those who's, those, for those who have come to faith in Christ and want to follow Jesus uh, in that, that act. We use our hot tub that's over here. It will be warm. We make it a part of the service. But if you have questions about that, come and talk to me or one of the pastoral staff members afterward. We'd love to include you if God is leading you in that way. I'm going to read two passages of Scripture this morning. The first are some selections from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and 26 and 27, and then the first six verses of Psalm 19. Let me read this from Genesis, and then I'm going to ask that you read Psalm 19 with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God called, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Let's read Psalm 19, 1 to 6 together. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Father God, as we look into your word, I ask that you would again make clear to us truths that you want us all to know, truths that teach us about who you are, for no matter what the goal or the focus is on every Sunday here as we go through these church services, we know that your goal is to bring us all to a place where we know you better in a personal, warm, endearing way. And where we don't just go through life on our own, but we go through, through life guided by you walking deeper and deeper towards a real fellowship with you and with your people. I ask that you'd use this morning for that purpose. There are many cares in our hearts, and so we pray for our families that you will bless them from, from those who are oldest to those who are youngest, those who are closest to us, and those who are farthest away. We pray especially for those who are members of our families who at this time in their journey through life or not walking with you and have kind of shut you out. We ask that you'd put people in their pathways from whom they can hear your truth, in whom 
they can see your love and your wisdom. We pray for our neighbors and our friends who are closest to us, those that we see day in and day out. Give us ways to serve them. Give us ways to reflect the fact that you are working in our lives and that you are alive in us. We pray for our leaders in in this country and in this state. We ask that you will give them wisdom in the midst of this very, very divided political climate that we live in. We pray that nonetheless you would continue to speak to the leaders of this nation and that we as a nation would do what is right at every level. That we would honor you. And we also pray for our world in a very troubling time. We pray that you would bring peace and reason and well-being and a desire for goodness throughout our world. We pray that you would restrain evil whenever it arises, and that you would give us patience to trust you, that, that you are working in the midst of situations that, that human beings create and that seem impossible to turn around. We pray that you would nevertheless show your hand. We submit to you, and we call upon you to work in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, I was with a group of pastors who have roles very similar to the role that I feel here at North River, when we were all asked a very interesting question. And the question was this. If you knew that you only had 10 Sundays left in your ministry, what 10 lessons would you choose that are most essential for people to know in order for them to understand God, Jesus, and the Bible. We all took that as an interesting challenge, and I did too, and I, I got out a, a lined pad of paper and I started coming up with a list. If I only had 10 weeks, what would be my, my bucket list of things that I would want to tell you, knowing this is it, I got 10 weeks and that's all I have? And soon a key thought began to rise, and it focused on a phrase that I've heard and I've used from time to time, and that began to become the central thought that tied all these things together that were on my list. That thought was a two-word phrase, only God. Now, this is not a new phrase for me. It's not an original phrase. Other Christians have a way of responding to moments of great breakthrough or to answers of prayer with that statement. Only God. It's meant as a praise most of the time. Only God could do something like this. Only God could show up at, at this time in such a way. So I have applied that only God phrase to a series of messages that we're starting today where we'll be exploring 10 or 11 foundational concepts that I would want to present to every Christian I know if I only had 10 weeks left. And so that's the, the sense of urgency that you may hear behind my words. I, I'm thinking it through. What, what if... You only give us 10 weeks here at North River, and this is all you ever experience about what we teach or what we believe at this church. So if you're new here to North River, or if you're new to faith, or if you have wondered what are the most important concepts that you really need to be clear about, the next several Sundays are my response to this challenge, and I think they're important. So today we're going to look at part one of Only God. The message topic for today is only God could create all this. Welcome to Sunday, April 3rd here at North River Church. Welcome to spring together. Welcome to another month of feeling our way forward. Welcome to all of you who have gathered in our worship center here in Pembroke. 
I have loved meeting several people who are newer to North River over the past several weeks and several months. And it is fascinating to me how many relatively new people there are who are part of our congregation since the COVID period started. This is a wonderful thing to see. I love seeing uh, new families and, and people who are main, making their way back here after a long season away and kind of reclaiming their place here at North River. Let me also say welcome and hello to those of you who are watching online and you're part of our online congregation today. You are part of an interesting and growing sector of North River's ministry. Streaming our services allows us to expand our reach and to connect with many of you who watch from your home or from whatever place seems most comfortable to you. And with many more who are at a physical distance away from this location and not able to join us here today. If you are checking out North River today and this is one of your first Sundays with us online, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to check out this particular service. I hope that you will be inspired enough to take a next step by filling out a connection card. You can download that from the, the site that you're watching if, if you're live and online at this time. Or you can send me an email, paul at northriverchurch.org. And I'd love to know who you are, how you found us, what your questions may be. Let's jump into this Only God series right now. Here's the question that I have this morning. What does the Bible first want us to know about God? If you have never cracked the Bible before, and this is a brand new experience of sitting in a church that each week opens up the Bible, what is the first thing that God wants us to know? That is sort of what we're going to explore this morning. Four observations that I'd like to give you from Genesis chapter 1 and Psalm 19. First, the Bible presents from the outset a God-centric view. Verse 1 of the Bible begins, in the beginning, God. Now, there are a number of reasons why people read the Bible. Many people first read the Bible looking for clues about their own identity and purpose in life. Some others approach the Bible trying to fit God into their already formed worldview. While the Bible does help us discover our purpose and the meaning of life, the Bible is best understood when we realize what it is trying to do, what it was written for. As written, the Bible is not about a book about God pushing his way into our world. It is fascinating to see how some judge God based on their own expectations. They see God as trying to interfere with the world and the lives that we have as if everything revolves around us. For example, there's a quote that Richard Dawkins wrote in his book, The God Delusion. He says, God is a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, an infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomachistic, capriciously malevolent bully. When somebody looks at God that way, they are looking at God from outside of the way that God communicates as if this is our world, and what, what right does God have to try to invade our thoughts and, or to invade our space? And then we pick up the Bible. The Bible is written as God's story that is presented to people who are guests in a world that God has created and invited us to enjoy. We are the guests in His world, if you will. He created it for us to live an amazing life and for us to enjoy the work of his creation. 
But he also created this world as a place for us to get to know him, God. So I'm going to ask you to do something that is selfless, or at least not self-centered. I am asking you to consider the Bible as God's story that is written for you so that you may find him, know him, enjoy him, and explore the possibility of having a daily relationship with the living God, at least for the next few minutes. Whether you believe all of this from the beginning or not, take on that perspective for a moment. The Bible presents a God-centric view of life and the world. Here's the second discovery we make about God. We discover a self-revealing God. If we play that verse out a little bit wider, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let's face it, you and I were not around at the beginning. In fact, no human beings were around at the very, very beginning. No one was there to write down what they saw or exactly how it happened. Many people have trouble with the concept of creation because they think that this, our world and the universe around us, is all there is. But there's a problem with that kind of thinking. The invention of the Hubble telescope reveals galaxies and universes that are moving outward from a starting point. This movement points to the realization that there had to be a starting point. There had to be a, a beginning. And it's fascinating that we are coming in the last century or so to understand what the Bible has been proclaiming for thousands of years, that there was a beginning and that God was there at the very beginning. Do you know that in 1917, Albert Einstein saw evidence that the world was moving outward, because, but there's so much pressure from the way that the scientific world saw things at that time that he was afraid to come out with the conclusions that he had been reaching. And most people in the science world at that time were, had reached a conclusion that the world was static, that the universe and the stars and everything were there for a long, long time, and they'd always been just as they are. But with the invention of the greater telescope usage in the early 1900s, scientists began to explore and realize that the stars that we see and the planets and the galaxies are moving outward slowly, slowly, which meant that there was energy that was pushing outward and it was leading back to the point where there was a starting point. And Einstein was afraid that he would be shouted down if he told people what he was reaching with his research. And then there were some other scientists in the next few years who acted on the discoveries that he was making, and they were the ones who actually got the credit, in fact, a couple of Nobel Prizes, for declaring the very things that Einstein had first written about, but then had gone silent about. That as the universe was moving farther and farther away, it was pointing to the point that there had to be a beginning. In other words, that the world hadn't always been here, and that all that stuff that we see up in the skies hadn't always been here. There had been a beginning. And science was beginning to allow us to see that what the Bible has been saying for so many years was actually true. So what accounts for this beginning? Who can tell us about the start? Enter God. I find it fascinating that the Bible presents a God who speaks and reveals and a God who starts by revealing things about himself. Was Genesis written by human beings? Yes. 
But the Bible writers make the claim that all Scripture is God-breathed. That doesn't necessarily mean that God whispered every word into the ear of a person who wrote down only and exactly what God told him to write. It means that God guided the thoughts and concepts that were written while using the individuality and the uniqueness of each of the authors who penned the Bible's 66 books. And while Genesis doesn't give us a scientific explanation of exactly how the created order was accomplished, it clearly shows that God was involved at every step along the way. The Bible presents a God-centric view. It it also allows us to discover a self-revealing God, since Moses and anybody who may have uh, helped him edit the book of Genesis wasn't there at the very start. These had to be the whispers of God, the wisdom of God breaking through to Moses but also them taking the information that was around us in order to write the words that we are looking at today. Where do we find that? Partially through creation itself. So our third discovery this morning is that God speaks about creation and creation speaks about God. Would you say that with me? God speaks about creation and creation speaks about God. So we we looked at verse 1 of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Look at what Psalm 19 says. We read this a few moments ago. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 6, or Psalm 19, 1 through 6, is a great example of what I've been talking about here. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. So here's David, the author of Psalm 19. He's saying, if we're listening, the skies are speaking to us every day. They are pouring forth knowledge about the Creator God. He goes on, he says, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. There are messages, despite the fact that there's no voice. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Do you love nature? I bet that many of us do. Are you amazed by by a spectacular sunset or by the stars at night? Don't be surprised that the Bible isn't the only place where we learn about God. When King David wrote Psalm 19, he was meditating on what the skies had been teaching him. Think of David as a young shepherd boy, often out at night, watching over his father's flocks. And there must have been many a night where he's alone by himself, and he's looking up at the skies. And he was listening to what they were teaching him. He's the one who says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. Their voice goes out into all the world. Do you realize that every day that you have been alive so far, God has been using the skies and the heavens to teach you and me something? What do they teach? They teach us that there is something out there that is much bigger than us. They teach us that whoever or whatever is responsible for this must be majestic to create something that is filled with so much wonder and beauty and awesomeness The creator has to be greater than the creation. 
They cause us to search for answers and to dig for more knowledge than we start with. They move us toward humility when we consider the grandeur of the heavens and the skies. They lead us to recognize that there is order and laws of the universe that keep everything on course in their places and on track. And therefore, the creator of all of this must understand such order and be able to wrestle all of that into place. Lou Traficanti was an early member of North River who was drawn by the stars. Lou was the very first drummer in our worship band, and he became a very dear friend. And at the time he attended North River, he was an expert forensic toxicologist who testified in court many times. Later on, he was part of a cancer research team in Burlington that was connected to the Leahy Clinic. Years earlier, Lou got his master's in chemistry at NYU and then his doctorate in neurobiochemistry from Rutgers, and then he went on to do some postdoctoral research at, at NYU during a time when people were doing some really breathtaking stuff, research on DNA and RNA and the Big Bang. Really, really heady breakthroughs. When Lou went off to college and grad school, he walked away from his faith, but the research that this team was doing raised a number of questions in his head. He saw that evolutionary theories depended on four primary gases before matter existed, and yet he was wonder, wondering, where do those four primary gases come from? We can't just start there with something that doesn't have an explanation. And the DNA research they, that they were showing revealed that even the smallest molecule in the human body was encoded with so much information, it was like having the Library of Congress inside that one molecule. And he wondered, how did that information get there? How does the human body, at its most simplistic level within a molecule, have so much information and so much encoding from the very beginning? How is there so much information in something so simple? And then he noticed signs of order and patterns in the universe and in the galaxies. And he saw these patterns repeated. In fact, there was one Sunday years ago where, where I interviewed him and he threw up a whole lot of these patterns that he'd been seeing with pictures of the skies and, and the stars and the galaxies. And he was pointing them out with a marker. And these were the things that began to turn his mind back toward God. He wondered what force could have created these designs and patterns and this sense of order rather than randomness. Not only was Lou noticing these, these things, but the doctors doing the research did too. Two were a Jewish couple who found out, who, who found that, the, that only the God of the Bible could seem to make sense of this. And those conversations with this Jewish couple who were part of that research team led Lou back to the Bible. And our own Don Nickerson then led Lou to Jesus. And all the pieces began to come together. Here's the idea that I'm trying to get across this morning. God wants us to know that his, this is his world, that the creation speaks about him, and that he longs for us to know him. I should probably add to that. And he will use everything in creation to draw us back to him. So we've looked at three initial discoveries. The Bible presents a God-centric view it's actually his story. 
We discover a self-revealing God. He wants us to know him. There are things we could never know apart from God moving somebody else to write these discoveries. And God speaks about creation, and creation speaks about God. Even if we were to say that we don't believe there's a God, creation still speaks about God because he is the creator. And then one-fourth discovery. We never know God apart from community. If we tease out those verses at the beginning of Genesis a little more, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The very first three verses of the Bible, the very three ver first verses of Genesis, give us our first clues about God's complexity. In verse 1, we meet God, who reveals himself in three distinct persons, but the first as the Creator. And by the time we get three verses in, we've discovered God the Creator, God the Spirit, and God the light of the world. While the word Trinity never appears in the Bible, the concept of the Trinity puts together all of the clues about God's identity that are dropped into the Bible for us. So in verse 1, we meet God the Creator. In verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God, later introduced by Jesus as the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the waters before the, the world was put into the final form that we see it in today. And in verse 3, we hear God saying, let there be light, and creation begins to take shape. Now, the Gospel of John clarifies this for us. John borrows those opening words from Genesis when he begins his Gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he switches to a singular, a singular pronoun. He says, he was with God in the beginning. In other words, this Word is a person. Now, you need to know something about what John was doing here. He was using a, a Greek concept. The Greek word for word is logos. It's a word that we're all familiar with, but we don't use very often. It's the back half of biology or theology. So uh, the, the logos concept means the ultimate truth about something. So when we study biology, it's a combination of two words, bios, which means life in Greek, and, and logos, which means the truth about something. So the truth about life, or, or theos means God. So theology is the truth or the ultimate word about God. And John is saying that the ultimate truth was this word who was with God and who was God from the beginning. John goes on to say, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. By the end of the opening chapter of John's Gospel, we are abundantly clear that this word that he's introducing to us is Jesus, and that Jesus was there involved in the creative process from the very beginning, from the moment that God said, let there be light, Jesus was the one who, as the light of the world, was beginning to shape and to change and to form the world as we know it with all of its beauty and, bril and brilliance. So if you will, the light of the world in Genesis 1-3 is Jesus, and it's the New Testament that reveals it to us. Three more clues come in Genesis 1-26 and 27. God uses some plural pronouns in a way that are designed to cause us to ask questions. He says, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness. 
Three times God speaks with plural pronouns in those verses. And it raises the question in our minds, who's in the us? Who's in the we? And it's there that we discover this complexity within the unity of God. God is trying to drop hints and clues that he's one God who reveals himself through three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we discover that by the time we're only three verses into the Bible, which means that God is trying to reveal something to us about himself, that he is a relational God. We never encounter God. We never know God in isolation. We only know God in the context of community. And there's this divine community that we struggle to understand where there's one God who manifests himself in three persons, but he's never isolated. He's never alone. He's never lonely. And so it makes sense that this relational God has designed us, too, to crave, to crave and desire human relationships. And since God has so much more experience, he provides wisdom for our, our relationships. It's one reason why we need to read the Bible. We need its wisdom because we operate in this world and God has so much more experience than we have in relating to other beings and to human beings. Being created in God's very image, all of us, male and female alike, Every human being shares this relational capacity that we see in God. And it brings us round circle to let us know that the very God who created the universe, verse 1, we come to see that by the end of Genesis, we realize that this God is a relational being and he wants us to know him. This is one of the most outstanding first observations we meet when we crack the first chapter of the Bible. That not only is God a powerful creator, but this same creator wants you and me to know him in an ongoing, warm, relational way. He cares about who you are. And these discoveries are the foundation that supports the rest of the Bible's message. For the next several weeks, we're going to explore major themes that tie into this concept of only God. Only God can explain why this world is here. Only God can explain why your life really matters. And the same God wants you to know him in a warm and personal way. And my hope is that we're going to use the next 10 weeks to lead many people who are watching online and who are part of this congregation to a deeper knowledge and enjoyment of God. Would you say these two words with me? Only God. We do that? Only God. Let's pray. Father God, I I dedicate these next 10 weeks to you. And I ask that through the Easter season and through our focus on these only God concepts, that you would reveal truths to people right now who have sometimes been resistant or who haven't yet discovered some of what we're going to unfold over the next few weeks. And that we would find ourselves marveling over who you are and what you've done. Lord, I can't explain how you put all of creation in place. But I believe that you did because only you can create something out of nothing. Only you stand outside of time and space. 
So bring us to points of awe in the next few weeks. Bring us to a place of craving that relationship with you. Bring us to a place of longing for greater wisdom that is outside of ourselves that you provide to help us really thrive in this life. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.